load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate about the weights And make a podcast! Sumo is cheating! This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Welcome to episode 111 of Weekly Weights. I'm Alex Hayes, with me is Will, and joining us on Zoom today is Arian Kamesi. Thanks for joining us, man. What's going on, man? No problem. If you want to just give us a, everyone a quick intro of who you are, that would be awesome. Yeah, for those who don't know, my name is Arian Kamesi. I am part of the USA affiliate of the IPF, so that is the USA Powerlifting or USAPL. I started as a lifter back in 2011. And since then, I've just been more involved every year. And so I've become the national team head coach for the open lifters that compete at Classic Worlds. I'm also a meet director, a IPF Category 2 referee. I am the co-state chair for Florida. I am an athlete's representative. So all kinds of stuff in USAPL. And then also for our region is the North American Powerlifting Federation, NAPF. So with NAPF, I am the scoring manager and our, our latest treasure. Uh, man, I really appreciate underselling yourself as well. Much. <laughs> you know, like often people just come in and rattle off all their qualifications, but you were obviously feeling a bit sheepish and just wanted to drop one or two, you know. Point <laughs> is, for our listeners, he's kind of a big deal. Would you agree? <laughs> I mean, it, it depends. Uh, in some people's eyes, maybe those people that volunteer more or maybe people that are involved with their federation more might see as me as more of a big deal. But then people who are maybe like just competing with our federation or maybe they're focused more on the top athletes, they don't even know who I am. Do you reckon, have you ever been stopped on the street and had somebody go, oh my God, are you Aaron? <laughs> no, I'm not that famous yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be honest, me neither. The day that somebody stops me in Sydney and just goes, wow, you're Will from Weekly Weights. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll, that'll begin. Aaron, we really appreciate you joining us. And um, the reason I reached out to you, um, I said this to you in the message, was I actually recall when you were first posting on the bodybuilding.com powerlifting forums. And at that stage, you just seemed like somebody who was a real enthusiast. And now you do occupy all those, all those high positions in powerlifting, like you said, national team head coach. So you've sort of traversed this massive expanse um, from enthusiast to where you are now and we kind of want to cover that today in a bit of a biographical sense so let's zoom all the way back to 2011 or even prior to that um how do you actually become interested in powerlifting yeah i mean i was gonna say it even goes behind or before 2011 it's just like pretty much what everyone does is everyone just like lifts weights because maybe they want to look better or maybe they want to be better in a sport so like my cousin took me to like the local gym and we would do like biceps and abs and calves and just like the, you know the regular bullshit and then you start getting into reading into it more and back then internet wasn't as big so i would go to the library or go to a bookstore and just look at different magazines in the course of the magazines you hear all about bodybuilding maybe about strongman and then maybe you learn about like olympic weightlifting but there's not really anything in there about powerlifting so it took a while for me to learn about powerlifting through more of the internet like uh elite FTS or the T nation and all that stuff like that. And figure out there's another sport out there. And then over time, I just got more and more involved into lifting and more strength training to get better for sports. I was part of our university weightlifting club and we had someone there who was getting his uh, PhD there, Dr. Michael Zordos, who is a professor now at a different university. So he's the one who knew about powerlifting and knew about USA power, USA powerlifting and basically got a club to do our first competition back in February, 2011. And so was it at that stage, like, were you getting coached by Mike or how are you, how are you doing your programming? Yeah. So before I, we even like got the team to do it, when I had first met Mike, Mike, Mike wrote some training for me and it was a little bit more of like a, a little bit of a West side with like the dynamic effort and the max effort repetition effort. So it was very like, Back then, even he did a lot of stuff that was different than what he does now. Uh, so he tested out things on himself and tested out things on me. So I got some programming from him that I would do. And then when we we're part of our club and we were training for competitions, he would basically build a daily undulation periodization training block for everyone. And we'd all just follow that and just put in our own percentages. That's interesting. So, so at this time, when you were reading about bodybuilding and obviously you're talking to Mike and doing some West Side-esque training and things, um, were you actually interested in the science of programming and of coaching other people? 
Yeah, even from the very beginning, when I before I even knew about powerlifting, and I was just training more for like looks and for size. I was always reading the magazines or, or reading articles online to like learn how people are doing it or why people are doing it or just looking at different programs like oh what's this program look like or what did this person do for their training and then like testing stuff on myself so I was like my own guinea pig okay let me take this program and run run that program or let me just make these little adjustments and then after like testing on myself it was like okay well if I had a buddy training with me at the gym well then let him do my program with me and, and test out things on him or like a girlfriend or something like that like write a program for them to do Classic training your misses, hey. I, yeah, well done that. I have a friend who's going to go unnamed. This was like the worst behavior of anybody towards his girlfriend ever. He he thought her calves were like bigger than than they should be. And so he tried to get her to do calf raises whenever she came to the gym with him because he thought they would like spot reduce. And it was one of those things where not only was it like <laughs> horrifically disrespectful but it was also wrong yeah so wrong <laughs> where the cars were just getting more jacked and i was like it looks like a fucking athlete now like she could probably jump tall buildings and yeah. being like man you should go do some car races and i'm like Dude. <laughs> the worst so did um did your missus get strong from your programming yeah yeah i mean i did probably a, a lot of stupid stuff back then but just like any beginner as long as you did like some kind of uh basic program and didn't do anything too extreme yeah i had friends who got stronger girlfriends who got stronger and of course myself got stronger yeah man and so what was the step between that and actually starting to coach people a lot of people ask me that question and it wasn't necessarily like a a specific day it's not like when you like graduate from university or you pass like some kind of board exam or you like land your first job it's kind of just like that that transition of first like programming for yourself programming some for, for some friends and then it turned on to like the bio.com forums. I was just like, let me make a post and just tell people like, Hey, if you want me to write like a training block for you for free, comment to me and tell me like whatever the variables are of how much you want to train and stuff. And I'll put something together. So it was just like that slow transition of then coaching people for free and then eventually building it up from like whatever, $5 a week, $10 a week, $20 a week. Yeah. I think like every young coach kind of goes through that transition period where like a lot of people will say like, Oh, when can I start coaching people? It's like, you'll, Kind of, you kind of have to get there naturally. You kind of have to go from, like you said, doing it on yourself, doing it for free, and then eventually just working your way up. Whereas like people want to jump in at $50 a week online coaching when they haven't done all that work beforehand. Yeah, or the reverse can be true. Like I've had people have hectic imposter syndrome when they talk to me, where it's like they have a degree in sports science or they've been training for a while. They already coach some other people and it's like, and they're like too sheepish to start coaching powerlifters. And something I often say is like, Ray Williams isn't going to knock at your door as your first client and say like, Hey bro, like give me the secret sauce. Like it's going to be, it's going to be a few people who know you and just who sort of just feel like your attitude to lifting and training resonates with them that just want a bit of guidance. And you can almost sort of start cutting your teeth. I think at least I'd be curious what you think. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to say, no, I was going to say, I'd have to happen to agree. And, and with the world of like uh, internet and everyone being connected online now is you can reach so many people and there's plenty of people out there that if you program for them for free and you were doing a good job after a certain amount of time, they're going to be like, dude, let me just pay you like something like they're going to want to give you the money and then you can kind of build off of that. Or you can do it some kind of like donation system where you do the training block for them. And like after 12 or 16 weeks, they do a meet and if they, they had progress and they liked it, then they pay you some certain amount afterwards. For sure. Um, so tell me how many people were you working with for free initially on the bodybuilding forums? Cause you're pretty prolific. I don't remember the, the exact numbers and I, I, it was so long ago. It was like, I don't know, it was six years ago now, seven years ago that I don't remember like uh, how many people were on at one time. But I mean, there was a decent, I think maybe like 10 to 12 people that wanted to try it out. And I, I still have the programs like on my computer, like as a separate folder. And I have like their body.com username as like the, the name of the training program. How many of those guys ended up paying you for coaching? Out of those, um, not that many. I mean, and some of them didn't last very long. Like some of them, I have no idea where they are now or if they're still competing or not. Um, there were some that then started paying me like a, a small amount. And then after a while they, they left. And then there were some that like um, my one buddy, uh, Cody out in Arizona, he like stopped the, the coaching and I hadn't heard from him for like a couple of years. 
And then he came back on and had his, his girlfriend come to me for coaching. So then I got like, by then I was built up more and charging more. So then his girlfriend was the one paying for me and we're still friends now. So it's, it's like a little bit of a mix. Yeah, cool. So when you were posting on the bodybuilding.com forums, um, what do you think the sort of good and bad for you learning about coaching and programming and stuff was in that process? I'll start with the uh, the bad, I guess. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it short, but it's just like the you know, like the it's still out there. A bunch of people want to just argue about everything, and and they think they know it all. Because like as beginners, including myself, I thought I had it all figured out, and I was going to go and and shove it down everyone's throat that this is the way to do things, and and what you're doing is wrong and stuff. So it just comes to some of the discussions are more like arguments where like. I'm typing something out to you that you're never going to believe or change your mind on. And you're typing out things to me that I'm never going to believe and change my mind on. Uh, so it's just, sometimes it's just like a, a waste of time. And so I, I try and get into those arguments less, especially about like federations or equipment or drug testing and all that stuff like that. Like I'd rather talk about like different concepts of, of training or how to build a sport. Uh, but some of the positives to the discussions, same thing like when I'm coaching and someone asks a question, the ability to, convey the concept or explain why you're doing something helps you confirm whether what you're deciding on is like good or bad or right or wrong. And then also helps you just like understand the concept more by explaining it rather than just like something that's in your head and you never actually like explained it to someone out loud. You know, something that I remember from, from reading those forums was like, whenever somebody said like, I'm going to do this name program, like I'm going to do the Texas method or mad cow or whatever but I'm going to make one or two tweaks for these reasons. Everyone would come down on them like a fucking ton of bricks. Right. And they'd be like, you know, basically you cannot change the program. Like the program is this entity. And so it, like people never responded to like somebody's reasoning for making an alteration and then say, Hey, here might be a more or less constructive way to go about doing what you're trying to do. It was always just like, don't fuck with the program. Um, and it kind of, in some ways, it like quelled people's um, tendency to like experiment or think about their training. And in some ways, I get it because it's often good advice. Like if people write a generalized program for a large population and it works, it probably doesn't need a huge amount of modification to work for most people. But at the same time, I think it's perfectly valid for somebody to say, I want to change my training given these personal circumstances and here's, here's my train of thought logically and expect someone to critique their logic as opposed to just say, don't change the program. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the templates are hopefully designed to cover a large portion of the population. So you can't just assume that you're the, the unique persons outside the population. So a lot of times, yeah, it's just do the program. You're at such a beginner level that just doing anything consistently is going to be a positive and you don't have to focus on those little things. But every once in a while, there are some kind of situations come up where the person might need to adjust a training day or they might need to adjust the day in which they're doing a lift, depending on what equipment they have access to or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. And I think some of the, the things also with the internet is just like, we get asked the same questions all the time. And while you might have that knowledge, that inside knowledge, or you might be some kind of expert, that person's a beginner and it's like, they don't know it and it's their first time asking it. But for me, like to answer for the hundredth time, like, no, you shouldn't do this exercise in here during small up because of this and that. Sometimes it just becomes redundant. And some of us just like, you know, sometimes we just want to say like, yo, shut up, just do the program, see how it goes and then make adjustments later. Yeah. I also think sometimes with people like that, they kind of need to make their own mistakes. Like if I look back over my training history, I've done some really, really dumb things and particularly where I've like modified programs in a stupid way. But like, I kind of wouldn't truly know and believe how stupid those things were until I'd done them and be like, wow, everything everyone said to me was right. You know, and I think when you're like a 16 year old testosterone fueled male who just thinks he's king shit and knows everything, like you just kind of have to be humbled by realizing you're dumb here and there. Yeah. It's, it's pretty tough uh, trying to learn from someone else's mistakes. There's plenty of services out there and everything like that. That's like trying to teach you like, Hey, don't make the same stupid mistakes as I do make these changes so you can have a faster track to success and people are like, ah, nah, screw it. I'll do it my way. And then they just end up making the same mistakes. Well, when you're 16, it's like you, <laughs> when somebody says, don't make the mistake and do this dumb thing I did, you don't hear, don't make the mistake. You go, fuck, there's an idea. Like that's a mistake I hadn't even thought of making. I'm going to go try that one, you know, and you just do the next dumbest thing you can think of. What were you going to say? Yeah. 
how important do you think it is actually making those mistakes to come to a realization later? Or do you think that you can skip the mistake and then still have that same realization? I think it, it depends obviously on, on what the mistake is. Cause some of them can obviously be more drastic. Like if you like whatever hurt your back or something like that, hurting a disc, then it could have a, a life effects. And the other thing is like, what your goal is. If you're trying to be a coach, then obviously it's a lot better to test different things out and, and test things on yourself and others. Um, but if you're just trying to be like the best athlete, like I have some athletes that's just like, just, just send me the program, tell me what to do, pick my attempts. I'm not here to like learn the, all the nuances or all, all the reasoning for everything like that. So if you're that kind of person where you have your life outside of powerlifting, you have your own job and everything, and you just want to lift and, and be the best as far as the athlete, and maybe you want that fast track. You don't want to spend the years wasted with bad technique or injuries or bad programs. You just want to go straight to what some coach knows is the best method to get you to your goals. So tell me, you said you kept all the programs that you were writing people and you kept their usernames. So you've got like big pecs, mark 69s, 10 weeks of training or whatever still on your computer. When you look back at those programs and maybe if you like look back at your posts and your philosophy and stuff, how do you feel? Like, what do you think you did well? And what do you think you did badly? Yeah. I mean, in, in general for like my, my own training and even to this day, sometimes I've been like more of a do the opposite of what everyone's doing. So like after I went through my phase of doing like biceps and abs and everything like that, I see everyone else doing that kind of stuff and I'm like, okay, let me do the opposite. Let me do hamstrings. Let me do back the things that people are um, neglecting. And so in my programming, sometimes it, it was like that too. Like, let me just do the opposite of what everyone is doing. But some of the things when I do go look at back at the old programs is that I really focused like a lot on just the competition lifts, like just competition lifts two, three, four times a week for just different rep ranges. And then like not a lot of accessory work either. Like maybe just like one back exercise a week, or maybe just throw in some random abs or, or calves that the person wanted that. Whereas now I'm focused more on, the other variations that can help build up certain aspects as far as like technique or portions of the lift and also more accessory work to help stop imbalances from developing. And especially for like beginner intermediate powerlifters, putting on more muscle mass. And so a lot of people don't have the muscle mass yet. Something that I, that I found when I look back at, at like my history of coaching and programming is the things that I was doing. And I think this came through in your answer as well. The things that I was doing in my own training, really percolated into my beliefs about what other people should do too, but like to a very extreme degree. So there was a while when I was like doing three day per week, pretty minimalist, like main lift only type of training. And when I wrote programs, it was very much focused on doing like minimalist training sets of five, very little variety. And then when I moved to doing like more voluminous, more variety training, all the programs I wrote suddenly became very high volume, very high variety. And it took a lot of experience and experimentation with different individuals and things to be able to occupy the middle ground and sometimes write programs that sit at either end of those spectrums with like a reason underpinning the decisions. So I think over time, my decisions about coaching became much more, much more nuanced because nuanced, nuanced, nuanced. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like my decisions became better because they were actually informed by understanding rather than just being like, so attracted to the current shiny thing that I'm doing that I'm just going to give it to everybody around me, you know? And I think part of, again, your development as a coach has to be like realizing those changes over time. Yeah. When, when I think when I was first learning and just looking at more of other templates online or magazines and stuff like that, your instinct is to try and like copy as much as possible and like make a small change. So like if the programs I were look, I was looking at was a lot of like, like you said, the high frequency of the competition list, maybe not a lot of accessory work, very high specificity, then that's kind of what I wanted to copy. And I was too scared to go out of that realm. And so, yeah, it just took more time and more practice and, and learn the concepts to be like, Hey, I can bring in this variation and it can improve the person's like whatever tightness in the hole and the squat. And it's not going to take away from their, their skill in the squat or take away from anything else. All right, let's go back to the bodybuilding.com forums. <laughs> what is the misc and were you a misca? I, I did, I did roam the misc. I, I mean, it stands for miscellaneous, which is just like the section of forms where you can post whatever you want and you get all of the craziest things in there. And that's where like a lot of the, the memes started and all, all kinds of stuff on there before Reddit and before a lot of these other places. 
So I, I did roam on there. I don't know if I've ever made any uh, any threads on there. I obviously like, commented on people's stuff on there. I didn't have the 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 shirt, but my buddy who I actually met through the Bodybuilding.com forums, and he owns a couple of gyms down here in Florida, New York, and, and I, I run competitions with him. He, he was a big misser as well. He was part of like the miss uh, dips crew and the pull-ups crew. And he was on the rankings on there and he's got the shirt and everything like that. I don't believe you because <laughs> there's no such thing as a successful misca. Like all miscas are meant to live at home with their parents till they're like 55 and have no mates. So I don't believe you. It's, it's funny. Not only did he start the gym, but he actually made a thread on there of like documenting of us opening a powerlifting gym and answering questions for people because powerlifting gyms are getting a lot more prevalent now and getting much better equipment and stuff. But like even back then in 2013, when he opened up the first one, there weren't that many. I had a engineering job before that in uh, Oklahoma in 2012. And that's the first time in 2012 was the first time I had came across a 24 axis like key card gym. Every time I've gone to a gym, it's just been like a commercial gym. They're only open these hours. And if you can't come, then you're screwed. And so it's like from 2012 till now, it's just been this crazy development of powerlifting gyms. And he was on there like answering people's questions of like, hey, these are the equipment we bought. These are the leases we found, all this stuff like that. And he's built it up now where he has two gyms in Florida and two gyms in New York. So I guess he's a success. That's, that's pretty wild and really cool. He's a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's the only one. <laughs> no, I always found the MISC really funny because there was clearly a really high population of people who were on the MISC where it was like self-satire and everything was a joke. And then there was just enough people who didn't understand that pretty much everyone was joking and trolling that it completely informed their worldview and just fed the trolls completely, you know? And it was like, it was really good humor, but a bit tragic at the same time. Very, very funny. Yeah, I mean, uh, Reddit's a little bit like that now, I guess, since the Bible forum forums have kind of died out. So many more years ago, people would say like, oh, I remember you from the MISC, or I remember you from Bible.com forums, or whatever like that. Nowadays, it's a lot more like, oh, I know you from Instagram. And there was one guy, I believe, at Classic Worlds in Sweden. He's like, oh, I seen your post on Reddit. My username is whatever. That's so weird. Like, <laughs> there is something really bizarre about online relationships generally. I was actually listening to a, to a podcast recently um, and it was about, it's, a, it's called The Psychology of Video Games. And, um, and there was an episode, so I was put onto this by Bryce Lewis. There was an episode about like why people donate to Twitch streamers. And they were talking about this concept of like a parasocial relationship, which is essentially one where you feel like you know somebody and you feel like you have social interactions with them, but you don't really. So in the case of like reading somebody's posts on the internet or following somebody on Instagram, or in the case of Twitch streamers, watching somebody's Twitch stream, it's this very sort of like one directional social relationship where you develop a concept of what a person's like and how they are and all this shit on the basis of their online presence. But you've never actually interacted with them as a person and yet you still develop a, a sense of a relationship with them. And in the case of Twitch streamers, they then leverage that to have people actually pay them money, which is how they make a living. But like when people come up to me and say like, I know you from Instagram, which happens very rarely because I don't have many followers. But like, you know, if somebody does that or says like, I listen to your podcast, and I have an idea of who you are. It's like, well, you do, but you only in that sense, like, you know, we've never hung out. So we're not really like, we don't really know each other yet. You know? Yeah. You only know like that, that one little section of them. Um, and then, yeah, they could be a completely different person uh, in person rather than their online personality to get that money. For sure. Did you ever get negged on the bodybuilding.com forums? Of course. What? Everyone has. I, I never did. I didn't post that. Why? <laughs> What's your username? I'll go neg you right now. <laughs> I don't have a username. It's the best way. I was just silent lurker, three, two, one. You know, some, sometimes it's, uh, sometimes like, like we said, if you're like uh, young and you're a beginner and stuff and you, and you think you know it all, you, you go on there and you make statements and stuff like that. And, and sometimes, Obviously, if the statement doesn't go with what everyone wants, then they neg you. So, like, for example, some of the things that I was uh, very uh, hard on was, like, the being very specific with your training and, and being high frequency and, and only focusing on the competition lifts, which is very different than some other people training on there, like, that had the west side mentality. Or even when it came to, like, warming up, we were very big on, like, 
like static stretching is the worst thing you can ever do in your life form up. You have to do dynamic stretching and stuff like that. And then you, you start learning more, researching more and like, ah, no, maybe there's some situations where you should probably static stretch if you can't even get down to in the bottom of a squat. Right. So if somebody writes in the powerlifting.com, like training log thread, what's up guys, I'm just stretching, warming up for my next West side session. You just write negged and just ruin their bodybuilding.com account for the rest of time straight away. <laughs> Pretty much. Fuck yeah, that's unreal. So, so, so you'd say your approaches then um, were characterized by this high degree of specificity. When you were running your own templates, you said you liked to experiment on the people you worked with and on yourself. Were you the type of person who would always run a program exactly as written first? Or did you start looking at them and saying, well, I want to make these changes to fit this worldview that I have? If, if the program was meant for like just running it as is, I ran it as is. For example, I did like, starting strength very early on. So I just ran it as it didn't do any extra stuff. Uh, I've run small up a couple of times. The first time I ran it, I did no deadlifting because that's what it says to do. And I just did the, just did the squats. The second time I ran it, I just did very little. I think like maybe once a week deadlifts like speed work. Um, I also ran small up junior for bench once and I just ran exactly as, as is. So if it was meant to be that way and it was the first time I ran as is, some of the ones where you have room to play with, like for example, I've done five, three, one, that gave me an opportunity to, okay, for the five, three, one protocols, I'll run exactly as is, but then for the accessory work and these other things where you can pick and choose what you want, then that gave me my chance to like, okay, let me play around with this accessory exercise or, or this kind of uh, style of training. So when you ran small of, I'm really curious, um, people who are listening that don't know what small of is, it's, is it 14 or 16 weeks? There's a, there's a base mesocycle, which is like notoriously extremely hard, very high volume, pretty high intensity. Um, you're talking like 10 sets of three at 90% and then you add weight every week. So pretty crazy stuff. There's a transition cycle. Then there's another, another cycle after that. Really hard. Um, and small of juniors, like a sort of adaptation that's designed for bench press, apparently. Um, one, I want to know what your experience was like, because all the logs of it in the bodybuilding.com forums were people saying that they were like trying to gain a kilo a week and still dying and had to sleep like 12 hours a night and shit. And two, there's this like, I don't know if it's a myth or not, but people were saying like their deadlift would blow up from doing small of, even though they didn't train deadlifts because they just got so brutally strong. So what was it like? And did you regret it when you'd done it? <laughs> Some of my experiences were in line with what everyone else experienced, but some of my experiences were different. And that could be a number of things. Some of them could just be like genetics or luck. Like I, I've never had a serious injury in any sport before. I've never broken a bone or anything like that. So while some people might get like injured from trying to squat four times a week, even though like I was doing four times a week and it was miserable, I never felt like any kind of joint pain or any kind of issues like that. So I was fortunate in that aspect. Um, I think there was like some kind of intro before the base cycle, which we never did. We kind of just did our own intro cycle. Um, but a lot of people get more of a benefit off that base cycle because you're doing like four times a week of squats uh, for three weeks. And then the peaking or intense cycle was like three times a week squats for, I forget what it was, four or five weeks. I tended, I think I did better on the second one. Uh, maybe the four times a little bit too much uh, frequency. The first time I did it the first week, I couldn't even finish the session four. Uh, it was just like the, the first day was good. The second day is like, okay, all right. And third day is like, crap, I already feel bad. And then the fourth day was like, okay, we have to change the, the spacing of the days to give myself some more rest. So we should like shifted the schedule a little bit to extend it so that I can get through it. Uh, but I had really good results for both the uh, squat and Delif, especially the first time for Delif. So for like squat for people to have like some idea of the numbers, I think it was like the first time off the base, I went from a 370 pounds to 400 pounds um, or maybe, th or th sorry, 380 to 400. And then off the first intense 400 to 425. So I did 20 pounds and then 25 pounds. And then the second time it was like 425 to 440. So 15 pound increase and then like 440 to uh, 460 or something like that, another 20 pounds. So all of a sudden, I went from like a 380 squat to like 460 squat. And then the first time when I did the no deadlifting, my deadlift still went up from like 440 to 470 off just that four, that uh, three week base. After that, every time we tested, I only went up five pounds. So 475, 480, and then 485. So the deadlift like really dropped off after that like initial uh, stimulus. Can you um, say that in English for us? 
In <laughs> kilos? Yeah, in kilos. In in uh, universal units, it was like squat was one seventy two point five kilos to one eighty two point five kilos, and then from one eighty two to one ninety two point five kilos, and then the second go around one ninety two to two hundred, and then two hundred to about two ten, and then for the bench, I'll be sorry for the deadlift, it was two o two or sorry, 200 to uh, 212.5 the first time. And then after that, it was just like two and a half kilo jumps. So it's interesting because Smolov is a program where, like you said, lots of people fit, like see it, start doing it, say it's too hard and then modify it. And then they get crucified for not doing the program in inverted commas. Like I, I've seen people on the bodybuilding.com forum say, do not use a training max or you're not really doing small of like, you know, as though you've just got to be the ultimate tough guy and try and do 10 triples at 90% in week one, which is just nuts. Um, so if you modify that program, people crucify you for making it too easy, which is just ridiculous to me. But then on the other side is five, three, one, which you said you've run as well. So five, three, one for people who aren't familiar has like a three week loading cycle and then a deload. So it's three weeks on one week off you're meant to calculate all your percentages based on a training max that's only 90% of your best lift. And so once you actually do the conversions, you're training really light with not very much volume, even though you do an AMRAP on your last set of each week. So it's just not very much hard training. And a lot of people modify 531 to either speed up the progression or not use a training max and things. And again, they would get crucified for that, for making the program harder than they ought to before time or like, you know, people would say you're going to stall earlier and you're not going to get the gains that you would because you're training too hard and all this stuff. Was your experience with 531 along those similar lines or do you think it, it worked really well just as it was written? As far as using the, the training max, running it as written uh, worked well for me. That could be partially because like, um, again, when you're a beginner, things work a lot more uh, easy for you. You don't have to have anything complex. So with the very light sets, you were getting a lot of technique work and then you still had the AMRAP to push yourself. And then that gave you more energy for the assistance exercises to maybe build up something if you're doing RDLs or if you're doing closer grip bench, that kind of stuff. And then whatever bodybuilding style work you want to do. So I think for someone who is a beginner or maybe even an intermediate, it doesn't really matter that you're not using your true max and you're not going uh, challenging sets on those beginning sets. And then as far as like making adjustments to it, I also say like, if you have the ability, always ask someone else. So part of the adjustments we made, for example, with small up was when we were part of our university club. So I was running it with, I believe three other people. And also we had Dr. Zordos there who basically was the one who told me like, we're going to use a training max actually for small up. We didn't use the true max the first time. And also he was the one that said, let's adjust the schedule a little bit to help with your recovery. So again, with the internet, with, Bobby.com with Reddit, with, with Instagram or anything like that, you can always ask someone else who's run it or someone more experienced, like, hey, what do you think about these tweaks? So how many how many changes do you think you can make to a program before it stops being that program? This is like the how many planks of wood can you replace in a ship before it's a different ship scenario, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I, I guess some planks on a ship are also more important. Like the ones on the bottom in the water might be more important than the ones up top. So it depends also what you're changing in the program. Like if you took the uh, like West side max effort day and you turned the, uh, the, the top single max effort to like a set of uh, 20 with 50%, then they kind of like defeats the program. That's actually a pretty reasonable answer. So it's like, it's more of like the qualitative, what are you trying to achieve with the program? And you're just making some tweaks around it rather than like quantitative changes to dosing. Yeah. Like, like with the, the small of adjustment um, that, that again, I didn't make it myself uh, like Dr. Zora's had me do is we're still taking the program, the sets and the reps and the idea of the higher frequency and then the higher volume to force a stimulus. And we just shifted a little bit to, improve my recovery so I can do these sessions. The other way would have been, I guess, if you had brought the, the volume down, let me take off a set or maybe bring down intensity a little bit more so that the stimulus can match what I'm able to recover from. Or if we had better prepared for it, we, we did it right after we had done a meet. So like our new block was that, 
And I think maybe we had only been squatting two or three times a week going into it. So it was still a little bit of a bump in frequency that maybe you could have been better prepared for in advance. Yeah, right. So do you have something? Yeah, I've always heard Louis Simmons say, you're not actually training Westside unless you're at Westside. Like, what are your thoughts on that and like how it relates? You're not actually doing a program unless you do it exactly as written. It, it seems like with um, some of the more information that's come out about Westside uh, in the last few years, it, it seems like his concept is correct, but not necessarily that like people aren't doing the program as far as what information's out there, but what they're doing at the gym is not what he has like as information out there from years and years ago. He's always doing new stuff and always maybe doing extra stuff that he didn't put in his article. So people always thought like West side was like very low volume and you like just did like your max effort exercise. And then maybe you did like a couple accessory work and you got out of there. And then people have gone to West side and said like, no, it's not like that. They do a ton of volume. They do a ton of accessory work. If they're feeling good on a dynamic day, they do their dynamic work and then they work up to like a heavy single and then do their accessory work. So there is some truth to that, that like, if you don't know what's actually the program or the concept, uh, and you're doing maybe like whatever West side from 10 years ago or reactive training systems from 10 years ago, you're not actually doing their system. I think there's also a lot of like unmeasurable stuff, particularly in a place like West side where the gym itself has this sort of mythos around it, where like atmosphere and your training partners and the attitude with which you approach training really matters. And like, obviously, obviously there is a training plan at West side for better or for worse, like it exists. Um, but but like the atmosphere of being in that gym and the intensity with which people approach it and you know, the quality or lack thereof of your training partners, all those things like contribute to the way in which you go about training and the results you get. So I think there's probably an element of that as well with Westside is like, I could go do Westside at my local anytime fitness, but it's not going to be quite the same as if I'm, you know, squatting with Chuck Vogelpohl or whatever. And there's that guy that Dave Tate used to write about. He used to beat himself in the head with a wire brush between sets. Like it's just a bit different, you know? Yeah, and, and that's why I, I was saying it's more of like a, it's their system. It's not necessarily you're not following the program. You're not, you're not following the system because they're always testing out new stuff. And then like you said, there's also the environment. There is the constant like feedback you get from the other people that you're training with or from Louie. And they're picking their exercises based like on what their weaknesses are, what they have in mind that day of. Um, so there's all these other things. And just like the competition that like, oh, Louis going to kick me out if I'm not there every day doing everything and trying my hardest, doing all the accessory work, getting my food in, my, my sleep in, uh, all that kind of stuff. So let's go back to your career a little bit. Um, you've, like, you've been coaching people online. You're doing a bit of stuff. What was the stepping stone between that and becoming involved in USAPL and NAPF and then suddenly being in the officialdom? How'd that happen? So even when we first started back in 2011, we helped out a little bit. Like the third meet we did it for uh, as our university team was actually hosted in our town. We couldn't host at our, at our university because they didn't like the lifting and they didn't want it in their gym and stuff. But there was a, another university in the same town. And we, so we ran it in their gym. And actually we helped the meet director like set up like the night before we helped like bring weights and set up chairs and everything like that. So from the very beginning, I, like, I always wanted to like help and give back. But I really got more involved in 2013 when I came back from Oklahoma. I came back to Florida. I quit my engineering job. I tried to apply for more engineering jobs in Florida because I wanted to stay in Florida. I was like, while I'm applying for jobs and I was working with my, my dad, I was like, let me get more involved in the powerlifting scene in Florida. Let me go to more meets and I'll just help out with scoring. I'll help out with setting up. And then I took the referee exam also in 2013, the state level, our first level. And so it was just like this like slow buildup of just being more involved and setting up meets and announcing and spotting and scoring and refereeing. And then um, I asked the meet director, he's the secretary general of the IPF, Robert Keller. He lives down here in Florida. And so I asked him like, hey, how can I get involved with the team coaching and I also asked the person who runs the coaching course that had just started back up, Matt, Matt Gary, how do I get involved with the team coaching? So based on their two um, advice is how I got into taking the coaching course and becoming a assistant on the teams for North American championships and then the classic worlds. And then eventually applying for the sub junior and junior head coaching spot. And I had a three year term with that. And then most recently applying for the open team. It's huge. So we've spoken to Matt, um, great bloke. 
Can I? Sorry if this is a rude question, but are those are those coaching positions voluntary or are they paid positions? Uh, both. Uh, you're you're voluntary applying for them, and they're getting better over the years. So the original coaches, like when they first started Classic Worlds in IPF in 2011, I think they did the Cup or 2012 when they were testing it out. It was um, two coaches. We didn't have as big of a team, but it was like two coaches and they got like a thousand bucks split between them. And it's like, okay, go figure out your plane ticket, go figure out your hotel. So depending on where the location was, you might be down a thousand or $2. Um, if it happened to be like in the States or in Canada, then maybe you lost only a little bit, but it's been getting better now that they built the USAPL coaching course. A portion of that money from the coaching course goes towards funding the teams. So now the coaches can get like, a portion of their expenses covered and they're trying to like build it up now to like give a stipend to the head coach, give a stipend to the assistant coach. So it's getting better to like, now you won't lose money or maybe make a little bit of money depending on where you're going. And what type of responsibility comes with being a team coach in the USAPL? So what I tell people, which is half joking, half serious is I'm the babysitter. So a lot of the top athletes, people assume that like, just cause I'm the, the, the team coach, they're like, I'm coaching Ray Williams or I'm coaching Bonica Brown or anything like that. And it's like, they already have their own coach. Pretty much all of them either coach themselves or have some coach that they've been with for a while and they stay work with their coach as far as programming and all that stuff. So I just come in for the logistics of getting them to Worlds. So like from the very beginning, I have to like take the results from our nationals, see who gets the invite for each spot, see who's on the alternate, alternate list, get it approved and then send out all the emails. So then it's like, okay, accept your team spot, pay your fees, buy your uniform, get your plane tickets, fill out the IPF forms, visas, all that stuff like that. Um, build game plans with them. And then at the competition, again, making sure they show up for check-ins, equipment check, help them warm up in the warm room. Sometimes their coaches can't come depending on where it is. So then me and my assistant coaches will take over everything. If their coach can come, then we work in with them and uh, get them a place as high as possible. So you know how when like bands go on tour, there's green room requests. It's like, you know, we want to have a bottle of 1998, you know, Yarra Valley, Merlot or whatever. And, you know, three green olives in the green room waiting for us. Do you ever get athletes who are kind of prima donnas about the green room? Like I imagine the Bryce Lewis demands that Katy Perry is being played, but not too loud in the change room when he's warming up. Is that, is that the case? Uh, I mean, m most of the, uh, the lifters are very self-sufficient as far as like when it comes to like, especially with the open team, because they're much more experienced. So they know how to do stuff. Uh, but uh, we try and we try and like make them prima donnas and do everything for them because like we don't want them to go anywhere or we don't want them to like load any weights it's like okay i'll load weights for you i'll set the rack height for you i'll get water for you like everything like that you just sit there and you just win so sometimes it's like us putting it on them does that does that mean going to um collect taylor atwood's hair products for him <laughs> i think his hair is just like perfect that way no hair products all natural I heard he was born with perfect hair. Like he just came out with like an amazing side part straight away. But yeah, I, I think so. And then he has his coaches that take care of everything. So like uh, he has his team of like Ben Esgro and Jason Tremblay and his dad and stuff. So like his dad's the motivator and like Jason's like building the, the game plan and figuring out his numbers and, and Ben's watching his nutrition. Like, Hey, take, take this, whatever drink and all stuff like that. You're going up in two minutes and doing everything. So like he has everything just taken care of for him. It's really interesting. Like having that sort of facilitator role, like all jokes aside, you do have all these people who come in, like you said, who are personalities who actually come from different environments and have different needs. And they're only really assembling under you for, for, you know, one or two competitions a year. Right. And having to facilitate all these people who operate under a different system must be a very different role to when, say, Alex or myself go to a competition with a team of lifters. Because when somebody, like when our people come to competition, we know them personally, we work with them all the time, and we also have a certain way of coaching in the meet. So that's just what they're used to and that's what they get, you know. Um, whereas in your instance, it is a whole bunch of people with, yeah, different needs and different experiences. And so you probably have to be a bit more of a chameleon. Has that taught you a lot? Yeah, and, and it's always been a, a constant battle uh, between the like the team coaches and what system they want to run and the, and then the individual lifters 
anyone who's like been around with USAPL or known for a while, we've, we've had issues over the years of people butting heads. And it's, it's the whole idea of like, well, if the lifter's paying for everything, then they should have the say in it. Um, and not, and don't care about like the team aspect. Some of the teams that have been around longer have maybe developed more of a team aspect to it. I know like the open equipped team sometimes will try and meet up once a year in a city and all like train together, will be able to meet each other. And they'll constantly like maybe be sending training like for six months of the year to the coaches so they get, get to know each other more. Um, but yeah, for me to have more of like figuring out what everyone's style is, how someone likes to warm up, how they like to take attempts, um, whether like anyone's even close to them to like worry about a strategy or not, or just like kind of let them go for the records and stuff. And especially these days with like people getting more sponsors and like for SBD USA, they give them like uh, prizes for like placing and winning best of and stuff like that. Like they're possibly winning thousands of dollars based on how they perform. So like, who am I to like tell them like, Oh no, you're not going for that. We're, we're going for this. Um, so yeah, I have to like, figure out how to like always adjust myself for different styles and different personalities, but like try and give them as much freedom as I can. Seems like a really cool role, man. Um, I'd love to hear about, so you've got all these strings to your bow, right? But something you didn't mention in your introduction was squats and science. So can you explain to our audience what squats and science is and what was the genesis of this business and this gym? So like uh, I, I consider squats and science as a, as a brand and there's a couple actual businesses underneath the brand. So for example, the gyms in New York city are part of the brand. So they call them SNS barbell for squats and science barbell. So there's, there's two locations right now, but they're like their own separate business entity. There's also um, open barbell, which is now rep one, which the guy who started squats and science, uh, my buddy from back from the university, Jordan Burke, he runs that and that's like it's its own separate uh, business entity, but it's still under squats and science. We also have um, some smelling salts. They're called inhales. So like there's all these little different parts. And so then what they want to do is bring me on as the online coach for squats and science. So I already was doing my coaching on my own under my own uh, own name and stuff like that. And they were like, hey, do you want to come on under squats and science? And you get the benefit of getting all the people that know about squats and science and they get the benefit of getting everyone that, that knows me. So that was like the, the breakdown on, of it. It kind of started back when we were in university, uh, when Jordan, who, who was like the president, he had the idea of making that open barbell because like the velocity devices out there, like Tendo units cost like two or $3,000. And he's like, Oh, I can make that same thing for a 10th of the price. So that's kind of like where the idea started. If you want to like start a business to, to sell that or give other things to athletes at like a cheaper price than what's out there. Cool. So you mentioned that that was you and Jordan. Is it just the two of you? No, now, now we have uh, more people. Uh, so my buddy, Chris Myers, who was also part of the team, he started like the gyms in Florida first and then he helped with Jordan building the gyms in New York. Uh, our buddy also from our university, Nate Zephyr, is the one who makes all the inhale smelling salts and helps us out with competitions and everything like that. And then we brought on more coaches for the gyms up in New York over time. So uh, I do a podcast as well with uh, one of our coaches, uh, Joe, and he was like the general manager of the gyms up in New York. And we have a couple of like independent contractors, like more coaches at the gym because they have just so many people wanting the coaching membership. So we have uh, Shane Drozdak, who's originally from New Zealand and Jacob Lynch. And then now we've also brought on a strongman coach, uh, Tommy Lavelle. He's like the, he won world's strongest man under 80 kilos, I believe. So we're building a bigger and bigger team over these years. Cool. Man, I, gotta, I have to actually apologize to you. I didn't realize how much of a mogul you were because when I sent you this podcast invitation, I calculated the time based on you being in Brooklyn because that's where, that's the gym that Alex visited and you're sitting in Florida and you just got all your minions operating on the other side of the country. You're doing pretty well. Yeah, since, since so many people associate squats and science with the gym in New York, so, so many people think that like I live in New York or I train people in New York. So people have actually fill out my online coaching form and like wind up coaching for me in New York. And I'm like, well, actually I live in Miami, so it's not gonna work out. Mad, this guy's just partying on the beach 24 <laughs> seven. People are in New York doing his work for him. So. Tell us, um, how have your coaching practices changed from those early days? So you were extremely specificity based. You say you sort of rounded out a little bit. Um, yeah, what what will we see from you now if we hired you? 
Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say like anything like too drastic has changed. And if anyone wants to go see it, I, I do have like free programs online. So people can always go look at the free programs and, and see the style, but it is bringing in more of that, those very close variations and bringing in some more accessory work, but still that focus on the competition lift. So oftentimes for many athletes throughout the year, we're doing the competition lift at least once a week uh, or maybe even two times a week, because then you're doing the variation as the second exercise and then you can do whatever accessory work after that. Um, so it's also just like the, the systems or the processes of like, I was doing a lot of uh, Microsoft Excel for my programming and I didn't really have necessarily a lot of formulas built in there. It was kind of just like typing out the numbers. So it's like building more formulas in there to be able to track data. But then it's also like the constant sending the file back and forth every time you update it. So then what we've been doing with the coaches as well with the gym for their, their coach members is developing a Google sheet that we can just have there live. So people can go on there, they can check mark when they, finish the workout so we can see exactly where they are. We can track everything and we can make adjustments. Um, also, a lot of my communication back then was all just like emails back and forth. And while you can explain a lot of stuff in, in written form, it, it's a little bit lacking in some areas. So I, what I've been trying to do um, in these, couple, these last few years more often is do like videos, like video reviews of someone's technique and actually like showing on my mouse and stuff like that, what the issue is slowing things down, or maybe even like doing a video of myself of like showing how to like stuff the elbows in the squat, like right here in my, in my rack and then sending it over to them or just doing like different things like that. Even just them like seeing my face in the webcam or hearing my voice kind of builds up that communication and that like um, relationship versus just like always emailing back and forth, especially for like the lifters that, I might only see once a year or maybe I, I haven't seen them yet because we haven't been to a meet together. That's really cool. Um, man, by the way, I think your microphone might be caught in that very luscious beard of yours because we're starting to get just a little bit of static as you speak now. Um, <clears throat> so as a coach, have you found that sort of changing, this is something I find really interesting, changing those backend systems. So giving your clients a bit more face time and a little bit more like of a visual interface with you. Have you found that that's changed the nature of your relationships with clients and the results that they're getting? As far as the, the relationships, it's hard to tell because it's like it's hard to track all these little these little things and 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 know exactly when it happened. But I feel like for a lot of my lifters, especially the ones that compete in USAPL, we're all like pretty good friends. So like even if I just see them at like one or two competitions a year we're constantly always like talking online on Instagram or Facebook, whatever like that. Um, sometimes we've had like events at our gym in New York and people have flown in. So we could do like a seminar and training sessions together. If I like I'm up there in New York, I might go like see my client in like New Jersey, uh, right, right uh, the state right over and be able to like stay at his house and stuff like that. So like it's become more of like a friendly relationship instead of just like, Oh, you pay me and I, and I send you the, the programming. And with that, like more of a friendly relationship, I think you can help like build people more like trust and like believing in your system. And especially because I like to do more of a long-term approach, it's hard to like show them progress in like a first 12 weeks or 16 weeks into a meet. I have to convince them like, okay, let's stick with this plan longer and actually see things develop over time. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I hear a lot of coaches talk about the importance of developing trust and like a personal relationship and like building a sense of friendship and self-esteem and things in the clients. Whereas I've always found that if I like, chip away steadily at their self-esteem until they're incredibly insecure and then indoctrinate them into thinking that only I have the solutions to all the problems that I've sort of engineered in their own psyche. They're too afraid to leave and then I can justify taking up my prices much, much higher as well. It's, it's tended to work really well. That, that system doesn't work for me because my system of, of charging people is anytime I increase my prices is only for new clients. Anyone who comes in at a certain rate stays at that rate forever. No, nah, man, it's like Scientology. Let me tell you, I say to my clients, Hey man, you've gotten some decent gains in these first 12 weeks, but for more gains, you need more money, you know? And yeah, here and there it works. <laughs> um, that is not serious. Just in case anybody in the U S is like wanting to capitalize on your really good exchange rate right now. I'm deep and I'll stay so. Um, so what about in the future for yourself and for squats and science? What things do you see coming? As far as like, uh, Squats and science, um, as far as the different areas, I mean, Jordan's pushing out this, this new rep one. So we're trying to do more velocity-based training, especially for the coach members at the gym, because they're there and they can just use the devices 
and, and trying to build more of this philosophy-based training into power things since it's not in there as much. So that would be like interesting to see that develop. Um, also, like I said, we have the strongman coach coming on. So it'll be interesting to like get some people into strongman. Some people might just pick powerlifting because it's like the one that's more accessible. But then after a while of being at gyms, they're like, oh, maybe I want to try out weightlifting. Maybe I want to try out strongman. And maybe they enjoy something else uh, more than powerlifting. For, for myself, it's just like, as far as the coaching side, it's like continuing to just build more and more clients um, and slowly increasing my price over time just because like I'm still not at the level as, as some of these other businesses, some of these other companies out there of like how much money they can bring in and how many top people they can coach. So it's like slowly building that over time and trying to learn more of the business side of it. I think a lot of people just say, oh, I want to be a powerlifting coach and they just like kind of like do what everyone else is doing. All right, I'll send the program. You send me money through PayPal or Venmo. Uh, I'll email you what I think and then that's it. But then it's like learning more of the business side of like, how to like market myself and, and set up different packages to like give people more options if they can't afford the one offer that I have. Um, we've been doing some more uh, seminars. I was trying to maybe build up the seminars more. You can travel around that way and maybe eventually getting to a point where then I can also like teach other coaches how I've done my whole system as being a powerlifting coach. And so they can kind of do the same thing. So I think this is actually a really neat little dovetail. So you are spending all this time thinking about how to improve your business. If you were to look back at yourself as a new coach or even be talking to new coaches now, are there any things that jump out as being like important for your development that you'd really push them to do? And what would you say is the, what's the stuff that you need to take that step from being a small time coach to a successful one? I think part of it is collecting more data and not even, not just like the programming, but just like, data on the athlete and then also on your business. So what I've been trying to go back and do more recently that I, I've been neglecting before is like taking every athlete and picking or going in back and looking when they started, what their starting numbers were, and then when they ended or if they're still current and what their numbers are to kind of see what's like the average length a client stays with me. Um, and seeing, for example, how much have they progressed in each lift in the total on a per year basis, on a percentage basis, and actually be able to like use those results to make adjustments, but also use those results for like marketing. So for example, I see like juggernaut training systems does their like AI coaching and they've been putting out the results saying like, based on all these people that have done AI coaching, we've been able to produce this, this results in these populations, but you really don't see any other powerful coaches or companies out there putting out those numbers, um, which kind of like, helps show your results and helps you like make adjustments if you are doing something wrong that you don't know about. Cool. All right. That's really interesting. All right. We're going to take a very quick break and then we're going to come back and we'll keep you with the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. Weekly Weights. Welcome back to episode 111. We're here with Arian and we're going to hit him with the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. Are you ready, man? I'm ready. So we have sent him the question, so he is prepared. So that means we expect better answers. <laughs> <laughs> so question one, if you could take anyone out to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? I, I guess uh, this does say a lot about me because even though I looked at the questions and I tried to prepare for it, I am terrible when it comes to like, oh, what's your favorite this or what's your number one that and everything like that. So I was thinking about this question and I, I, I couldn't come up with an answer. I'm like, who do I want to pick? Do I want to pick like someone from like mathematics or maybe someone who is like uh, very famous or celebrity or something like that? I, I couldn't think of anything. So like the, the only thing I could say maybe was interesting is like, it's not a name, but being able to meet like the very first human ever, whoever it is, whatever time period they are, wherever they are, being able to just like see who it is and what they actually look like and, and how they, they interact or whatever. You know what's interesting? This takes us back to the like, how much can you change a program before it's not a program question? Is like, presuming that you believe in evolution, like, there must have been like a kind of graded, like, I don't know at what point we go, that's a Homo sapien, as opposed to like, that was a Homo erectus or whatever it happened to be prior, you know? So, like, there must be, like, I think the first human could be like any of sort of some humanoid creature over like, thousands and thousands of years like i it'd be really hard to sort of pick one 
Yeah, and I'm not religious at all, but for someone who is religious, that might become as an aspect too, is like, oh, is like Adam and Eve the, the very first ones or something like that, and that's who you'd see. Yeah, you take Adam to dinner and you absolutely don't give him an apple. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, question two, Alex. Question two, who's your favorite athlete of all time? This one was uh, probably the easiest one out of all of them. Growing up as a kid, uh, the two sports I mostly watched were football and basketball. And my favorite for basketball was uh, Scottie Pippen from the Chicago Bulls. Nice. Did you like the Did you like the Last Dance series? Yeah, I didn't watch it as soon as it came out, but once I heard people like watching it and saying it's really good, uh, I was like, okay, I'll start watching it. And I went and watched it, and and I thought it was it was really good. It was like very intriguing i was like how come no one has thought about like doing a documentary on this it's like taking so long and then you kind of get to see a lot about scotty pippen who, who is my favorite is like how much he did as like the second guy and he always didn't get recognized for it especially when it came to his like salary and that's kind of like sometimes the the mentality i have is like i'm always like that that second person doing all all the work in the background well, the salary thing, and hopefully this happens to you as well, but the salary thing with Scotty Pippen, he actually made more money in his career than Jordan did. Really? It's just over those two years. So the Jordan's second and last year for Chicago, he made like $65 million. But his whole career, he made, I think, 92. And I think Scotty made 101 or something for his career. So he got paid after Chicago. So hopefully that happens to you as well. Hopefully you get paid soon. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully I'm in the second half of my powerlifting career. I make up money for all the, the work I did. There you go. <laughs> all right. Question three. Which movie or television character do you most resemble? This is another, another tough one. Like, I have no idea. No one's ever, like, really said that I, I look like someone or have the personality of someone. Except for one person in powerlifting has once told me there's this uh, – animation movie from a few years ago called home i don't know if you guys ever heard of it or watched it where like these aliens come to like take over earth and one of the aliens the main character's name is O, and just the way he like talks and stuff and the way he just like uh, does like um says funny words and stuff someone's like oh that's how i am like when i talk to people online like with funny words uh yeah i was gonna alex has just pulled up home i can <laughs> confidently say you don't look like the character from home Character from home is one, completely clean shaven and two, kind of short and purple. <laughs> but, but just like, just like the, the joking personality and like being humorous and just like the funny words and stuff that he, he uses. That's what someone said I resemble. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we'll take it. Okay. <laughs> Question four. Your life is being made into a movie montage and you get to choose the music that it's set to. What would you pick? <laughs> This was another tough one because I mean, at first I was trying to think like of a of a single song or or single band or something like that. And again, I'm I'm terrible when it comes to favorites. But then I was like, oh, you said choose the music. I was like, okay, what if I choose a genre? So I I went with with metalcore, which is what what I listen to more. Like I first started listening more to just like alternative rock and like you know the popular stuff, and then I slowly transitioned into more like metalcore so anything with like a double bass and like some crazy guitar solos mixing some screaming and some singing that's my life it's funny that you're like you listen to alt rock like the more popular stuff and most people are like if you play them anything alt rock they're like what is this shit so that's like your that's your like tip of the cap to pop music so you're like yeah. you know, cool and mastodon are like way too mainstream for you is that what you're saying oh we lost him did we just cut out can you hear us uh yeah, it looks like my Wi-Fi was a little unstable. Is it better now? Yeah, it's better now. Um, all right, tell us just one or two, um, one or two metalcore bands that you really dig. Uh, like uh, from older stuff, I listen to a lot of like uh, Lamb of God or All That Remains. More recently, I've been listening to so whatever comes up on on Spotify and like the new core and stuff like that. So uh, like Currents or Make Them Suffer. Uh, I, I think the last concert I went to was August Burns Red, which they're fairly popular as well. So those are some bands. You know what baffles my mind is how nice everyone who listens to this very scary, like negative music and everyone who listens to it is so nice, like yourself. Nice. I, I, disagree, I disagree with people on the negative uh, tone because people just assume that because it's like very hardcore, or like it's screaming over that it's negative. But if you actually go read the lyrics a lot of times the lyrics are positive and like for example like august burns red are like very christian so they have a lot of like christian themes in there and being positive and stuff like that and i tell people like 
my metalcore music, if you read the lyrics, are way better than people saying like, oh, like uh, fuck bitches and like sell drugs and like kill the police and, and all this stuff like that. My, my music is way better than that. <laughs> yeah, I think like the thing that we confuse with like heavy music is like a lot, like people gravitate towards it because artistically it's like a little bit more complex. So it embraces, you know, elements of dissonance and like complicated chord progressions and melodies that take you places you wouldn't expect. And because it's less like immediately appealing and easy listening to the ear, the presumption is that the music is designed to be like dark or whatever, but it just so happens that themes that sound dark musically are themes that are often musically more interesting to explore. You know what I mean? But the bands don't necessarily have to be talking about dark shit all the time. Or at least yeah. Some- and, yeah. And, and some of the, the darker ones is more like, it's just like the person's experiences of like what they've gone through. And, and like, as a kid, sometimes you go through those same things. So you just kind of like, uh, you, you feel one with that kind of music and stuff. And, and just like, again, the, the, the harder core stuff is like, just like you're angry. So especially when it comes to like lifting and stuff, I want something like angry that will pump me up. Yeah, for sure. Man, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. It's been really good fun. Your last job is to let everybody know where they can get in touch with you for coaching and where they can look up squats and science and also plug your YouTube channel. I see you've been making some videos. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have all this free time now. We're still in lockdown over here, so I don't go to any meets anymore. So, okay, let me just, like, make as many videos as I can with my, my free time. So, uh, for Squats and Science, it's easy. You can just go to squatsandscience.com or Instagram. You can look up Squats and Science. I also have my personal Instagram, uh, Coach Arian K. And then also on YouTube. I think my YouTube account is ArianDBZ because I am a big Dragon Ball Z fan, and I made that account, like, 10 years ago. Uh, but I think if you search Aaron DBZ or like Coach Arian or Squats and Science, you'll find it. Unreal, dude. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Will at W.BurbanPT. I'm Alex, Alex Hayes underscore process. Talk to you guys next week.